Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, And I'm so excited today to have Josh Passner, the head coach at Georgia Tech. I think you'll find uh, just an amazing, amazing resource. The love of the game just oozes through. Uh, he's been a head coach since he was 31 years old. Uh, the players he's had, the pros he's had. Uh, then after, you know, six, seven years at Memphis, just doing a phenomenal job. He could see that things, a change of administration, weren't going the way that were going to be good for him long-term, made a bold move and went to Georgia Tech, who was in a rebuilding mode, and just had cr- really crushed it in really one of the toughest basketball leagues in the country with some of the most iconic coaches from Coach K and Roy Williams at the time, you know, to, you know, Tony Bennett and more. Uh, so, I mean, 15 schools, and, man, you're coming in in the bottom third of that. How do you recruit? How do you build a program for longevity? And he has done that. Won the ACC championship a year before. After this timeout from our, our tremendous sponsors, I think you're going to really enjoy the things you're going to hear from Josh Pastner. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class that can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. And today, one of my favorite people in all the, the game of basketball, Josh Passner, the head coach of Georgia Tech, the ACC champ Georgia Tech, is our guest. Josh, welcome, my friend. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate you having me. Um, as much as you say that uh, I'm one of your favorite people, times that by 30 and how I feel about you and uh, not only are you one of the best coaches, not only do you give so much back to the game and help so many coaches, on top of all that and all your successes and championships, all those good things, all those accolades, you're even a better person. And uh, it's, a, it's been a real honor and privilege and a blessing to, to call you a friend. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm going to probably have my wife listen to this part of recording because after 40 years of <laughs> well, marriage, her, job, her job's to keep you grounded coach yeah well, job, she's done know. a good job almost underground yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. i think one of the last times we saw each other no you know off 
not on the basketball court. We were in the Bahamas together, right? And uh, yep, you know, that's and and uh, you know, you had Carrie with you. I had Brenda with me. And we were enjoying dinner out, and you know, during the summer, imagine that actually. You know, having fun for a change, you know, but I think we were there doing a clinic too. <laughs> but, you know, yes, it was, it was basketball related, but it was, but you had less stress because there was no games involved. Yeah, that was, that was good. So when we first met over 20 years ago, you were at the University of Arizona. And I'll never forget Chuck Daly and I met you out in Phoenix. And, and I, and Chuck and I, who Chuck is, was the most perceptive human I've ever met. And, and when we finished talking with you, and gosh, you're probably 21 at the time or something. He looks at me and he go, and he's always like, he can identify things super quick. And like, you know, he'd say like, he'd watch a guy for like five minutes and say, um, can't play. And like, you know, Chuck, you didn't see him running up and down. Didn't even see, he, I don't like the way he plays, you know, but I also could say that. And so he said, wow, sharp. It's going to be special. And I, and I never told you that. And, and, uh, you know, and I think, you know, and from our first time meeting and stuff, I, I, you know, I always think, you know, young people today that get into coaching, you know, they want to be you without doing all the steps you took. So here's a young man out of Kingswood, Texas, that decides to go to University of Arizona. Why? Well, First off, and I remember the meeting with you and Coach Daly, and and um, and and obviously for a young guy like me, meeting both of you, and obviously Coach Daly, who is, you know, one of the greatest mm. coaches, uh, re- regardless of sport, when you really think about it, Absolutely. and what he was able to accomplish. Um, back when I was growing up in in Kingwood, Texas, I remember in fifth grade, <laughs> I was watching the Lakers play the Celtics on a national network. And um, I remember turning to my father and saying, I really want to stay involved in the game of basketball. And I knew that the chances of playing in the NBA was even then. I mean, of course, I wanted to play in the NBA. I mean, what kid doesn't want to play in the NBA? But I had a reality about it. And I said, if I can't play in the NBA, the next best thing to staying involved in basketball is coaching. And I really put a lot of my energies, focus thought process into that even when I was at a at a young age and so when I was a senior in high school I actually wrote a letter to every single division one division two division three NAIA schools all across America wrote wrote personal handwritten letters to to everybody and one of the few schools to respond to me at the time was Arizona was Lute Olson and 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 look, I was coaching a Houston Hoops AAU team. I'm sure he probably wanted some of our guys, but he did say, looking at the letter, he says, hey, you could come in, you could work the guys out, watch film, and it wouldn't count against the rules. And um, and so he also, you know, wanted to, uh, you know, recruit our guys as well. But and I was coaching, you know, at a young age, I was a head coach of the Houston Hoops. I was kind of a player coach at that time. And Anyway, I, I had the opportunity to, to, to walk on to the University of Arizona, and my freshman year, we won the national championship in 1997. And, and I'll never forget, after we won the national championship, I turned to my father, mm-hmm. and, um, and I talked to my dad. He was there at the game, and I says, man, this is easy. We're going to do this every <laughs> single year. And as the longer you go in the game, you realize it's almost impossible to win the whole thing. It's just an, um, an incredible, incredible accomplishment. We beat three number one seeds. But all that being said, that during that time period at Arizona really allowed me to continue to grow as a coach, learn as a coach. I learned from Lute Olson, who, you know, he's one of the, the, the greatest to do it. Um, yeah. um, just the fundamentals that he taught in, in, in everything that he taught within practice. His practices were like a clinic. And then, you know, I was there for a long time as a as a player, as a as a student athlete, as a staff member and working my way up and then becoming a full assistant and then having the opportunity to move to Memphis as an assistant and work for one of the best ever in John Calipari. And so to be able to be under two Hall of Fame guys in mm-hmm. Lute Olson and John Calipari. And I say all this to say, Coach, I I worked very, very hard. 
I also am well aware that I got a lot of breaks. I got a, a, doors that had opened. And I've told people this. Life is all about opportunities. I mean, literally, that's what life's about. When that opportunity arises, it's on you, the individual, to, to walk through that door and take advantage of the opportunity. But you need to be ready for the opportunities. And I recognize I skipped a lot of steps being able to be at the University of Arizona, being able to be at the University of Memphis, and then just being able, because they couldn't hire anybody, because nobody wanted to follow John Calipari, at 31, I got the head job at Memphis. I More people, I could give you a, a list of a million names that were more deserving and more ready to be the head coach at Memphis or an assistant at Arizona more than myself. But I got some breaks. I got the doors that had opened. Then it's on me to take advantage of it. But I don't forget that. I recognize that, that I've been fortunate, right place, right time. Got, I, I was able to skip some steps that not everyone gets that opportunity to do that. And, and I, that's where I, you know, I understand that, that when I got that job, both at Arizona and Memphis, you know, I was fortunate because like I said, there was many, many more people probably more deserving than, than me in those positions, but right place, right time. You know, I, I, you know, I think, you know, and, and again, because I care about you so much, you're, you so much humility. And I think that's one of the keys to your success. But I mean, uh, you know, when I was at UCF with Donnie Jones, we got to play against you at Memphis and man, I saw a program and, you know, Cal's one of our, my favorite people, love him. He's an absolute genius on the business of basketball and he's a great guy and great person and, um, you know, does what you're supposed to do at the collegiate level, I believe, um, you know, prevents, you know, presents opportunities to his players to make a great life for themselves and their families. But you took that program and it never missed a beat. And that, and that's that's something that even when you were hired, they couldn't have predicted. Um, you know, you went in there and to follow in the footsteps, the footsteps of a legend. No one wanted that. I, I realized that. But why do you think you were able to be successful? What do you what did you try to do then? Looking back on it quite a while ago uh, that at 31 that you said, I'm going to do this, be my own man. How did that work out? How did you do it? Yeah, great question, Coach. And, and what I would say is this, a few things. One is, um, um, you know, obviously being as an assistant at, with under Coach Calipari, um, you know, you recognize, man, this guy, who, the guy that follows him here at Memphis, you got to be a little bit crazy. I mean, because, <laughs> I mean, the guy had won so much. And, and, and I mean, literally his last four years at Memphis, he had won 95% of his games. And so when he went to Kentucky, I was so excited to go to Kentucky with him. Mm -hmm. And I not for one second, not for one second did I think I, about getting a head job at Memphis. Not even for one second was I even thinking about that. I, I was like, I mean, whoever follows them, you got to be crazy. And what happened was they were trying to get a lot of coaches, but they couldn't get anybody because nobody wanted to follow them. And so I was sort of the last man standing because they had to kind of keep the program rolling. And, and we had signed a great recruiting class coming in. Guys like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, Xavier Henry. And obviously they were all coming to play for John Calipari, uh, for Coach Cal. And, uh, and so when I got the job, what was amazing is they had all left, which was um, deservingly so. They didn't want to play for me and, and they wanted to play for Coach Calipari. And, and I got it. I understood that. Because uh, when we were recruiting those guys, we all were selling Coach Calipari, and sure. And then so when I got the job, we had one kid that was able to that that I was able to keep from the recruiting class, Will Coleman, just a sweetheart of the young man. We had a couple guys that were that was an old, you know, that that stayed on, um, that were uh, from from the previous year's team. So we had a couple guys going to be seniors, and then I actually sent some emails out. And I got this one email and this blast email about this one kid. Somebody just said, and I just took the kid's sight unseen. And um, his name was DJ Steffens. Um, mm. I took him in late <laughs> July. And he ended up being a four-year starter for me. And and, and, and and nobody was recruiting him. I mean, he couldn't. He was trying to get to a Division three school. I just needed some bodies just to round out our team. And, and so 
Well, I would tell you that first year, 31, and, and, you know, coach, moving over from an assistant coach to a head coach, as much as you can do to prepare, it's totally different. Right. Those six inches, and people talk about it, there's a big difference between making suggestions and decisions. And every decision falls on your, on your shoulders as the head coach. And, and, and you got to be really clear thinking when you're making those decisions. And, um, um, and so being able to have clarity, kind of having an understanding of, of what you want to do. Look, I was able to go in there and I try to ride the coattails of the success of Coach Calipari and continue to sell the program of what Coach Calipari had done. And, um, and we were, like my first year, we really overachieved. And I always tell people when you get a head job, the first year is not the hardest, believe it or not, because it, it's usually the hardest year is the second year. The first year, you usually have guys that are that are returning from the previous uh, coach, and whether they were whether they left for another job or they were fired, whatever it was. Um, the, the 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 sometimes those returning guys just need a, a jolt of energy, and they're older, and you have a great year. It's the second year where you sort of kind of bring your own recruits in, and then you're and you're really young. And that second year, we had a great recruiting class. We brought some great guys in, but we were really really young. We were sort of like a roller coaster, but we ended up winning the conference tournament and ended up being good enough to go to the NC2A tournament. And so, you know, when I look to today, and I'm going in my 13th year as a head coach, hmm. and if I could know what I know now and go back to Memphis, and even though we won over 70% of our games at Memphis, we won a lot. If I could know right now what I know now and go back to that time, I would tell you, I would think we could win 80 to 85%. And, and who knows, maybe you've advanced to a final four. And, and I say, you know, that's part of maturation. That's part of growth. That's part of being, you know, you're just learning that you're better today. And I, and, and I would hope the same thing, God willingly, 10 years from now, if I'm mm -hmm. still able to be a head coach, I say the same thing 10 years from now about, you know, when I'm here at, from at Georgia Tech. And so when I look back, you know, on some of the things I did well and some of the things that I didn't do well, it's a great opportunity for me to really, um, uh, you know, be, be, be truthful with myself and look myself in the mirror and say, okay, these things were good. I did some of these things I needed to get better at. And then uh, that allowed me to help me to kind of understand when I was coming to Georgia tech, um, kind of the same thing to say, okay, what did I take from there? How do I learn to improve and continue to get better to making sure that, uh, there's an opportunity for success at Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's fabulous. Uh, you know, when when I think back to when you were taking over at Memphis, your program at Memphis was really it was the bigger show in town than the Grizzlies back then. I, that, I th that is that is right? correct. It was it was it was the 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 Grizzlies came late into into Memphis's history. Right. But the University of Memphis ha has been such the the fabric of the city. The, yeah. the just the the DNA of the city for so long. Obviously, the Grizzlies have now been there long enough, and they've had success. And and and, but yes, at the time, you know, early on, I mean, the the, and you got to remember, I tell people this: being a head coach at Memphis, it's the equivalent. It's it's being the equivalent of being the head coach of the New York Yankees or the Green Bay Packers or mm -hmm. or Alabama football in a, in a fifty mile radius in Memphis. Maybe yeah. it's, it's not national like that, like those other places, like those other. Uh, programs I mentioned or, or, or yeah. organizations, but in a 50 mile radius, that's what it's like. It is very, very intense. It is 24 seven, 365. And, and you are not just the basketball coach. You're almost like you're equivalent to the mayor of the city. I mean, you're just, you're looked in that way. And, and there are so many sports stations, whether it's TV, radio, whatever it may be, newspapers that cover Memphis Tiger basketball all year round. It's just amazing. And uh, the crowds and the way, yeah, I mean, you, you know, I've been into the worst NBA environments. That was one of the, mo the most intimidating college environment I ever went into. 
you know, we went in there a couple of times with some decent teams, got our ass whipped by you. One night I looked down at you and you called off the dog so you'd only beat us by 25, you know. But that's that, is, and we appreciated it, true. But it was just an amazing setting, and your guys were so competitive, and they came out and they played so hard. It was it was amazing to watch. And, and I'm happy for one of my former players, Penny, to what he has done, because I think right guy at the right time for that team, right? Well, look, I, a few things on that. One is the Memphis crowds are, were great. It was a great home court mm-hmm. advantage. And, and, you know, the FedEx Forum, yeah. um, I, I, I wasn't there when the pyramid was there. Um, yeah, uh, I, I played in so there. They, yeah. they, had bought, they had built the FedEx Forum. They had built the FedEx Forum for the Grizzlies. It was, an, it was probably at the time the best college basketball arena. It was it brand mm-hmm. new, even though it was being shared by the Grizzlies and the and the Tigers, it was just in a beautiful arena. And we were drawing, you know, just, you know, incredible crowds. And, and so the, the passion, the intensity, the energy, the enthusiasm, the excitement for that job is really outstanding. And what I would tell you is, um, as you mentioned, Penny Hardaway, who's just revered in Memphis mm-hmm. and just, uh, you know, obviously one of the great players in 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 memphis history maybe the best but for sure one of the best but but also a tremendous pro um you know kind of he kind of changed the way the 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 game is where, where it's kind he the way he was with his marketing deals you know he was in the sure. movie blue chips with all the, the the little penny commercials and everything he transcended stuff from sports i mean he he was global um but he's a really good guy he's got their team is really good this season. They've got a re- realistic chance of winning the national championship. And I don't say that lightly. They're really, really good. And he's a very good basketball coach. And I do know, and I think you know this, and he's openly talked about this. He wanted, and whether they didn't hire him or offer him the job, but I know he was heavily interested in the Orlando Magic job. And I'm sure in time, um, and, and people in Orlando loved him, obviously, but in time he will I assume at some point be an NBA coach. Yeah. And, and just like, you know, you talked about moving over from an assistant to a head coach, NBA in college, totally different sports. Right. And, uh, and Penny, I think is, has a chance to be an iconic college coach because of the rapport he has and what he's invested in the young people in his AAU teams uh, in town there. But as a pro coach, no one cares about what you did as a player and stuff like that is about what you're doing for me it, now. <laughs> so. No, it's different. And I was going to ask you, coach, I would be real because the game has changed. It, it totally. has evolved. I mean, in, yep. in both the NBA and in college, I, I've right. never been in the NBA, but as a fan, just, you know, you watch every game. But, I know. Yeah. I mean, yep. the, and in college has evolved. I mean, just, just with the rules and, and what's allowable and even the NIL and the transfers uh, yep. portal and all that stuff. I would like to ask you, because again, just, I think Chuck Daly, I mean, people forget, I don't know if everyone knows this. He was the dream team coach in 1992. And, and I, so I have a two part question for you. One, and, and by the way, did, I don't think they ever called a timeout in that dreams in that t- entire time. If I'm not, I think that was one of the things he never called a timeout in the entire uh, gold medal run. But I have two questions for you. One is, do you think Chuck Daly could coach in today's game in the NBA just with how could he not forget the basketball knowledge just with, with everything? Could he, could he, could he be as successful in today's game? My question for you. And then two, did he ever talk about when the college team beat the 1992 dream team in that, that private scrimmage? Did he ever, was that intentional? Did he intentionally want to lose that game? Just out of curiosity. No, no, no. Two questions. One, no, we had to qualify for the Olympics by playing in Portland in the tournament in Americas. Um, And so we had to qualify to go to Barcelona. And so we never called a timeout there uh, in, uh, I guess we played, uh, Yes, we played uh, six games there. And then when we went to Barcelona in eight games, never called a timeout in a winning margin of 47 points a game. So the uh, the other one, uh, and regarding the Dream Team, also absolutely not. The guys came there, uh, George Raveling and, and people had young Bobby Hurley, uh, Magic Johnson, none of those guys could stay in front of him. Grand Hill was playing. 
and uh, they they beat them like by one or two points. They played great. When I say they beat them, it was uh, 39-38, something like that. They played gotcha. 20 minutes, right? And so, because as you know, the Olympics is the same as college. It's a 40-minute game, not 48 like the pros. So they played a half, and that's what happened. And so, and so the second day, Chuck never said a thing to the guys. But it was being made a big deal of by others because right. it had leaked out. Never said a word to the guys. And and if you ever see Grand Hill, uh, the next day, uh, the score is 13-9 to 2. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yes. So paybacks are a bitch. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it got their attention. And, you know, but Chuck would, he, Chuck would be absolutely a phenomenal coach now because the whole thing, Josh, with Chuck was about relationships. Yep. Even though he was a phenomenal defensive coach, a great X and O coach, he because he's a brilliant basketball guy, the key was the way he got players to play, want to play. And as a successful head coach, he it never was about him. Many college coaches have a huge ego. You know, mm-hmm. because they never graduate. They stay there, you know, and they're the star. Uh, he had been a collegiate coach, but he'd also been a high school coach. And uh, and he'd been the college assistant. Uh, and then but when he came to the pros, I think the best thing that happened to him, he went to Philadelphia as Billy, Billy Cunningham's assistant, Julius Irving, Daryl Dawkins, Bobby Jones, Cheeks, those guys, Andrew Tony, And then... All of a sudden, you know, he had been a head coach in college. He was the coach of Penn and Boston College. He decided I could be a head NBA coach. He took the worst job in the league. He took the Cleveland Cavaliers and lasted 93 days. Wow. And was fired. Wow. And so Great. I think that is one of the things that, you know, you find out that, you know, in the pros, you're you're as good as your talent, right? And so, uh, and he always tells people that, you know, that, you know, I'm, I, when they say, how come you're a great coach? He says, I'm not a good coach. I'm a good coach when I have great players. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. but, but he would be fabulous in this environment now that we have uh, at a, any level because the kids are first with him. And he knows yep. how to connect to a kid, Dennis Rodman, that has, you know, no formal education. You know, uh, he can connect to Isaiah, Isaiah, who's brilliant. Joe Dumars. You know, it doesn't matter the guy, Penny he has, you know, in Orlando. Um, he's just just a, a guy. I've never, I've been around, UB Brown was one of the people, Fratello I worked for, Lenny Wilkins, some of the most successful, Isaiah. He was just another, at another level. I, I, and it's natural. It's it's what you're born with. You never can learn from him. No, that's that's amazing. I'm, yeah, and I'm a, obviously I'm a big fan of Coach Daly and heck, all those coaches you mentioned, man, you should write a book one day, coach, or just about all your all your basketball knowledge. And uh, I mean, those are some big time, big time names and coaches. To I like to that. Deal. That's a good idea. You, know. you can you can help me on that. I'd like that. Uh, we're gonna take a quick time out and come back with Josh Passner. Coaches, are you looking to take your game preparation to the next level? Then Fast Model Sports is the perfect coaching software for you. With FastDraw, build an organized library of plays and drills and create professional playbooks to share with your players and staff. You can also download over 9,500 free plays and drills from our Playbank directly to your FastDraw account. Looking for a better way to build your scouting reports and want to include video? With FastScout, build custom scouting report templates to prepare your team best for each individual opponent. Plus, did you know with the latest... Updates from Fast Model Sports. You can now include video with your Fast Scout reports and share with your coaches and staff all within the Fast Scout mobile app. The combination of Fast Draw and Fast Scout is by far the best way for you and your coaches to create winning game strategies and effectively communicate them to your team. Over 10,000 high school and youth coaches trust Fast Model Sports products to help their teams reach their goals. To order, Go to FastModelSports.com. Use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any FastDraw or FastScout products. Remember, go to FastModelSports.com. Use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any FastDraw and FastScout products. 
Welcome back to Josh Pastner, head coach of Georgia Tech, ACC champs. The most incredible postseason upset I saw last year. I thought Florida State was, and they were, absolutely fabulous. Leonard Hamilton is iconic. Love him. Great assistant coaches, Stan Jones, CJ. Those guys, what a staff. And and you went in there, and I, I mean, I said, I sat there with my mouth open because I, I said, this is incredible what I'm watching. Uh, what was it like to be there on the on the bench? You had a hell of a team, but still, that was an elite Florida State team. You know, uh, first of all, yes, Leonard Hamilton, uh, uh, just an amazing coach. Uh, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And Absolutely. He, 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 you know, he might be about 70, but he looks like he's 45. <laughs> so I, I, he, he'll be coaching for the next 20 years. So yeah. um, he looks great, and his teams are always so good. They play so darn hard. They've got multiple pros. Um, and, and he's one of the few coaches that, that I've ever known in the game that can play 11 to 12 players <laughs> in the game and keep everyone happy. Yeah. And, um, and no drop-off, and they play so hard. And so that's a credit to, to Coach Hamilton and, and his staff. But, yeah, we were fortunate last year. We, we, we had beaten because Florida State was really 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 good we actually were fortunate to beat them earlier in the season and that gave us a good lift at home uh midway through the acc schedule they were you know whatever top 15 in the country top 12 in the country and we were able to get a win against them at home so that gave us a great lift and opportunity that when we played them in the acc championship to have that confidence um behind us that that we knew that we had beaten them earlier in the year um and you know to to in, to beat a team like florida state because of the amount of pressure that they put on you all over the the floor mm-hmm. you know you you've coach there's going to be some turnovers i mean there just is but as i told our guys the key thing is what is is we had to avoid pick sixes i would say and that was a big thing is is there might be a turnover here and there but we can't allow them just to get pick sixes and go the other way and and because in transition defense the 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 mismatch doesn't hurt you the turnover yeah it hurts you but it doesn't destroy you if you can get back and 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 get a stop and and so what hurts you in transition is the open man Mm-hmm. And and so whether we, as I told our guys, we had to avoid pick sixes to really have to do a great job of ball security, being sure with the ball, sureness with the ball. And then we did a great job. We actually set an ACC record. We had forced Florida State into 25 turnovers and and out of those 25, 15 were steals. <laughs> and so we defensively and we were a very good defensive team. I'm forcing teams into turnovers. Um, I, you know, I had the kid Alvarado who was ACC defensive player of the year, Moses Wright, who was the ACC player of the year, but also first team all defense. Um, we did a great job with our hand activity and enforcing turnovers that allowed us to get some easy baskets in transition that where we didn't maybe have to score all the time in the half court against their elite pressured man-to-man defense. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I love that term, pick sixes. I'm going to give you credit for it, Josh, one time, then it's mine, baby, okay? There you go. <laughs> hey, you take it, coach. Put it in your book, whatever you want to do, and, you know, and so, no, that, hey, we all coach you. I probably stole that from somebody else, so who I, knows? No, you know that, what I, mean? no, so, I got it from Josh Pastner. That's who I'm giving go. credit to. So, Georgia Tech, when I was coaching the Hawks, Georgia Tech was, you know, Bobby Cremins had just come in. Uh, they were in the dumps, man. He came in, and Bobby was, as you know, the history of him. He was funny. He only he basically had five guys that were on his team, played five of them all the time. It was really funny. But what he did was he was the best recruiter of point guards in the country, uh, you know, point guard university. And uh, and the funny thing was he started it started with Mark Price, I think, when I was when I was with the Hawks, and and then you know then they you know Travis Best came, Marbury came, and Kenny Anderson. And I think I coached three of those guys. I coached Mark. Wow. I coached Mark in Orlando at the end. I had, and obviously, I had Marbury in New York, and I had Kenny Anderson in New Jersey, and every one of them incredible talents, you know, and stuff like that. And it's to me, it's the most important position in in basketball at any level, you know. If I got a, the best point guard or one of the best, whether it be Isaiah or whatever, or Kenny Anderson, even as a twenty one, twenty year old, we, Chuck and I had him. Uh, 
you know, he controlled the game, you know. So it's amazing how Georgia Tech got that reputation and stuff like that. But how would you describe your offensive style of play? Because I think when you went from Memphis to Georgia Tech, you know, you talked about how you, I, I loved some of the things that you kind of transferred to, you know, different style of play, I thought. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, and and you're right. You know, it's Coach Kremens who whose name's on the court. And mm-hmm. every time he comes to the game, I'm always telling him to, to come in, you know, if he if he wants to boot me over, I'll be his associate coach for that game. He can sit and be the head coach, and um, and 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 and, it's, and it was fascinating looking back at the history with 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 him that he literally played six guys max, you know, mm-hmm. and and it was really fascinating that, but obviously tremendous success. But you know, coming to Georgia Tech, um, I actually just completely changed my style of play of how yeah. I played at Memphis. I completely changed differently at Georgia Tech in, in, in all areas, offensively, defensively. And I felt coming in here, um, I, we had to be different. We had to be unique. We had to think outside the box because we were not going to go in. Look, I, I recognize this is the ACC. I mean, and, 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 and I love recruiting. Like, I love recruiting. I enjoy it. I enjoy go- watching games. I enjoy going out recruiting. I enjoy being a, just being around young people and meeting coaches. And I, I, I really enjoy it. And that being said, I'm all, no matter how much I enjoy it and how hard I work at it, I was recognizing I wasn't going to go in there and, and, and beating the legends in the game and recruiting. Um, and there were was, there was so many Hall of Fame coaches in this league or future Hall of Famers. And, 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 and I, they were this. Kids were not going to just going to say, hey, I just want to go play for you over the Hall of Fame or future Hall of Famer. And so, you know, because there's at the time when I came in the league, we had multiple Hall of Fame guys and multiple guys who are going to be in the Hall of Fame. So I said, OK, we're not going to be able just to go up, play teams and just say we're going to go beat you head on man on man on man. That's not going to happen. We're going to have to be different. We're going to have to be unique. We're going to have to be outside the box and unconventional and being different. And so I tried to do that coming into Georgia tech and, and, and through that time, we've been able to, you know, we've obviously we've, we've had some good successes um, and we've had some good wins. And, um, and there's been also times where you're, you're, you know, you're trying to get over the hump and, 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 and the one thing that I recognize going back at my time at Memphis I felt that I changed a lot from year to year with systems or maybe we did this, maybe we did that. And I, and I look back, I probably should have been a little more consistent on how I wanted to play. When I came to Georgia Tech, I had a much more clearer vision on clarity on what needed to happen in order for us to be successful uh, on style of play on both sides of the ball and how to get there. Even when we had some tough stretches at our time at Georgia Tech, when you're trying to rebuild the program back up and there's some tough stretches, I, I didn't waver on our style of play that I believe was best to give us the chance to be successful. Now, I say all that to say, you, you know, you could sit there and think in your own head, man, that's a great coaching job. No, we got fortunate. You know, we got we, we did a good job with player development. But we also got fortunate. And and when I say fortunate, that, you know, you get old and you stay old. And I, that's the number one thing coming in here, the side style of play and being unconventional, all those good things. I said we had to stay old. We had to get old and stay old was a critical key component for us to be successful. And if you look at the time here, my first year when I got the job at Georgia Tech, we overachieved, had great success, got to the championship of the NIT game, set all kinds of records that year at, for, for home wins and all that good stuff. Well, um, <clears throat> we ended up being an older team. We had an older team because when I took over, as I mentioned, the first year, you usually have older guys. My second year, we were, had eight new guys. We were so young, and we were, we were like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. My third year... Um, I actually thought that we could have been older. I did a poor job because Josh Okogi, mm. who after his sophomore year went to the NBA, was drafted by the Timberwolves at the 20th pick, wasn't one of the top 10 players in the state of Georgia, didn't start on his AAU team, wasn't a top 100 player, 
ends up being the two years in college. And I thought Josh was going to be really good, but I was more prepared for after his junior year, he might leave for the NBA. He leaves after his sophomore year. It's late May. And I didn't do a good job in, in the preparation through the recruiting, preparing for him to leave after his sophomore year. So we really had a void going into that third year. So, and we, and we, we were again, little up and down because we were younger because we were missing that older piece of having the Okogi, Josh Okogi, but we started getting better later in the year. And then year four and year five, we were older and we were, and, and we were good in the ACC. I mean, we, we set all kinds of records at Georgia tech for a lot of things that we have accomplished in ACC play. And a lot of that has to do with just being older. So all that being said, you know, and, and in basketball coach, it's such a fine line. It's a make and miss game. You got to get a break here. The ball's got to bounce your way here. You got to stay healthy with everything with your key guys. And, um, and so for all that to be successful and for you to win some games, you know, you got to get a break. And we're, we got, we got a couple breaks and, and, and allowed that to have the success that we've had. But when you look back, besides our style of play, being unconventional, outside the box, unorthodox, being different, being unique, we've, in, our, in our years of success, we've also been older. And I think that's a big key in this league. Because of the amount of great players in this league, the amount of great coaches mm-hmm. in this league, of like as I mentioned, Hall of Famers and future Hall of Famers, you're just not going to be able to out-recruit those guys. So you've got to be, ex- you've got to be just tremendous at evaluation. You've got to be tremendous at player development. And then you got to, what I think is you've got to get old and stay old. I think, it's, I think it's a great, great outlook. I know the things you do offensively and defensively, but explain how you decide on those styles of play and if you feel like you want to articulate what they are. I mean, obviously, you, you just have to watch you play once and, and you see that, you know, it's a very team-oriented system. Uh, most colleges are take, I want to say they, they kind of take cut and paste, right? I guess you would say cut and paste from NBA plays. They don't know what the hell they're running, but they just cut and paste it to run a high pick and roll here, there. They run a horns play. They don't, you know, but there's nothing. You run a team style of play. Uh, and I, and how did you decide on that style? I know what it is, but how did you decide on, there's a lot of t- team styles. How do you go to that one? Or yeah, why? no coach. Well, a, a, a few things on that. One is, um, um, even when on my time at Memphis, one of my big stats was always about, um, assist, uh, uh, field goals assisted. I was mm-hmm. really big about that. And, sure. and even going back to my time at Memphis, because I was always – people would get on me at times at Memphis saying, or offense this, or I'm saying, wait sure. a second. And I was really defending – I was defensive about that because I was like, wait a second. We were always one of the very best in the country at assist on made field goals. I, we really prided ourselves on, on making the open pass, that the open man was the go-to man. When people say, hey, who's your go-to man? I said, it's the open man. And um, we really did a nice job of moving the ball and always had high assist. And the same thing coming into Georgia Tech, I, 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 you know, and at Memphis, we, you know, we might have ran some more set plays and mm-hmm. less motion. More here, it's more, it's more freedom with structure. It's player movement, ball movement. I, I really believe everything's – and it's more conceptual. It's more about concept basketball, mm-hmm. more so than an actual set play. And, and I've always told our guys, guys, you can't give the ball a headache. Like you're pounding it. Like, or if you're over dribbling, you're giving it a migraine <laughs> or stop holding on the ball and massaging it. You like move that thing. That thing's got to hit your fingertips and move. It's almost like a hot stove, hot potato, boom, boom. And, um, and, or, or I'm always telling the guys, you're sit, you're standing on the grass. You're killing the grass. You got to move. You're not giving it any sunlight. You got to get out of that same spot. And so, so we're we're I, I we're constantly in mo- in movement and motion, um, and and look in the end, no matter what whether you run an NBA play, a college play, a high pick and roll, you run motion, you run whatever it may be. In the end, there's going to be an opportunity for the ball to get swung and somebody to get a shot, and that shot comes down, especially in this day and age with the three point shot. It comes down to you know, to a make and miss game and being able to shoot the ball and, 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 and 
individuals that can that can really shoot it, it can go a long way in covering up a lot of other deficiencies because it forces you to to have to stretch the floor. And you know, coach, 33 and, and we don't live and die by the three. We're not that I'm not built that way as a coach, but 33% of from three really equals 50% from two if you do the analytics and the math of it. And so the three-point shot has changed the game. Mm-hmm. It really has. Um, um, but I still, with all that being said, I still think there's a lot of old-school fundamentals and kind of an old-school way. And the reason last year, one of the reasons we were really successful and, and it, within our style of constant motion, constant movement, the ball's moving, you know, it's not sticking, it's, it's moving, we had, it was, we had very low turnovers. And and it's and as kind of elementary as this sounds, passing and catching. If you can do those two things well, you know you you probably are going to have a great chance to be successful. Because if you eliminate the turnovers, you don't allow yourself to beat yourself. A team really has to beat you. And I don't care what sport it is, not turning the ball over just makes a goes a long way how about making free throws you know again because everything gets fixated in the in 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 this day and age with this stat here that stat here but it can really be just looked at as man did you take care of the ball did you make your free throws um and so i would tell people also what's interesting because when you put a practice plan together, as we all know, it's you know, whatever, two hours, three hours, whatever you're doing, there's only so much time you can cover something. Sure. And, and, in, in it, and, and, and you know, if you, you can either be average at a bunch of things or be really good at a few things, and really that's what you're going to be focusing, emphasizing, reinforcing. And, and that includes shooting. That includes ball security. That includes free throwing. Do you spend time on that as well, too, within your practice plan? I think all those things are go hand in hand. I think there's different ways to skin a cat. There's so many people have been so successful in different personalities. But I really think if you look at all the ones who've been most successful, I think it kind of goes back to hand. Yes, it had great players. But if you look at some of the main key stats, man, they don't turn the ball over for the majority of time. They make their free throws. You know, they play good defense, you know, this, that, and that, and this. And so uh, it's a real fascinating part of what makes sports so great. Josh, when uh, your defensive style, I, I also think you had a great change. Your multiple defenses and stuff, uh, again, I understand why you did it, and I think it's a great move. I think a lot of it has to do with, I, I think you have an amazing growth mindset, you know, and that, that you constantly are learning and stuff like that. You also put together a terrific staff. With, with, you hired a, a, an incredible head coach to come and be an, your top assistant. And I thought, you know, bringing a guy from Eric, like Eric from the West Coast, who's been fabulous for you, I think, you know. But putting together your defense in that league, I thought was really important to show the multiple defenses and probably played more zone than you played at Memphis, right? That, that's correct. And, and, and coach, you know this because all the coaches that you've worked for and worked with, and then that includes coach Daly, um, uh, you know, with, without no head coach can be successful. Yes. The players are most important because they're the ones putting the ball in the basket, but you've got to have great coaches alongside you. You've got to have great staffs. I've had great staffs in my entire time sure. as a head coach dating back to Memphis and here at Georgia Tech. I've had, I've had really good guys, really good teachers, really good coaches, and that's so important. And, yes, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we, we, we ha- we've been different. And when I say we've been different, we've played multiple defenses. Um, and, um, um, and, and, again, you know, sometimes – Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, now we've been fortunate. It's maybe worked more than it hasn't. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like it's like Coach Bayheim's zone, his, you know, the Syracuse zone. There's going to be some times you're going to get some open shots. But, you, you know, it's, if you're making the threes, then people start saying it's a great zone offense. If you miss the threes, they're saying it's a great zone defense. And they've. <laughs> And it's the same thing whether it's man to man. If you're playing, if, if the team kind of gets suffocated and doesn't shoot the ball well, um, they're, they're thinking it's a really great defensive game plan or scheme. I give you a prime example. We were playing 
I was at the University of Arizona. We won the national championship in 1997. We were playing Utah. We were the best team in the country in 1998. The best. We had the entire team back. We should have gone back-to-back national champions. We, we were ro- crushing people. I mean crushing people all season long. We're playing in the Elite Eight in Anaheim, California, against Rick Majerus and the Utah, uh, his Utah team. And they had Andre Matt Miller and, and, and Doliak and those guys. And we had, we had Michael Bibby, lottery pick. Jason Terry, lottery pick. Michael Dickerson, lottery pick. Miles Simon, who was the most outstanding uh, player in the previous Final Four in the second round pick in the draft, playing Utah. They played a triangle and two on us. <laughs> and they left two of lottery picks sitting there wide open in the corners and in the slot at times. And we couldn't hit the ocean standing on a pier. <laughs> and everyone talked about and, and Rick Majerus, you know, God rest his soul. He, you know, he obviously yep. has a triangle and two tapes and everything else. <laughs> I'm telling you, if we made some shots, it's a whole different deal. But we missed. And it goes from saying, hey, great defensive game plan and scheme to, you know, to and, and it changed, you know, trajectory of history in a sense. And so yeah. that's why I've always said it's it's to, when you when you when you make shots things change and it's a make and miss game and and you can never not have enough good shooters or on the floor at times now you've got to have scheme and strategy and all that stuff that goes with it but it's really a fine line of 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 here and there and 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 i think i have a good understanding of that but so we do some different things defensively i try to keep it be different and unique and 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 keep try to keep things off balance um, but that being said, you need the opponent not to make shots. And if they're making shots, they're, you're like, Coach, you know, this isn't working. And that's why I always kind of say it's a make and miss game. No, oh, you're 100% right. And, you know, um, you know, I, I, you know, as it turns out, Miles Simon plays for Chuck and I in Orlando. And that's we, correct. we draft Oliak in the lottery. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. And we were out of coaching in two years. <laughs> so, well, that was – No, yeah, not I mean, because you know, of those You know guys. what? NBA draft oh. and recruiting are very similar. It's I, here's yeah. what I say, Coach. It's an inexact science. Uh, you're, 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 it's it's like scheduling, <laughs> recruiting, scheduling, drafting. It's all an inexact science. You're predicting. You're hoping. You're doing all the intel research and doing everything you can to evaluate. But you know, it, it, it's a crapshoot. You just don't know. I mean, you got to get lucky. I tell people this all the time. Some of the best coaches in college basketball. Um, have gotten lucky, and when they, and, sure. and yes, they're great coaches. But some of the lucky things is based in recruiting. They either signed a guy that wasn't really that good, or or wasn't highly rated, and came in and was better than anyone thought, or they signed a high level player, and he ended up being as good or even better than his reputation. And so with mm-hmm. that, you have to get somewhat lucky along that way because it's you're taking a chance. You don't know. You really don't know. Look at a guy like Moses Wright for us this past season, who was yep. the ACC Player of the Year. He was offered two scholarships coming out of high school, Georgia Tech and Catawba, which is a Division II school. <laughs> Georgia Tech and Catawba. So, so we got you had to get a little lucky that he was that okay. You can say we did a great evaluation and we did great player development, but if it didn't work out, you'll say what were you thinking? And so it worked out. You get a little lucky. And he helps you win the ACC championship. And so that's kind of the – and that's the same thing in the draft. You just don't know. It's such an inexact science dealing in recruit, And that and that's why I even say scheduling because when you're doing scheduling, you're predicting on how a team will be, you know, who you play. And so it's just such a – it's such a fascinating um, aspect of – of all part of the game. You still had that recruiting touch. You out-recruited Catawba, so I'm, I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> you know? Well, hey, listen, if I didn't win that recruitment, you know, then there, that would have been a problem for the, my bosses here at Georgia Tech. Yeah, fortunately, well, it's, fortunately, it worked itself out because he ended up being a really good player. Yeah, and Todd Stansbury, he's a, he's a gem, man. That, that, the best, the yeah, best. He, I, I, he, every time I see Todd, he, he, I, I'm just bear-hugging him. I mean, yeah. the guy is he's, – he's, he's the athletic director here at Georgia Tech. He – our, our dear friend who I just – every time I see him, I give him a bear hug, Donnie Jones, who's yeah, now at yep. Stetson, who did an incredible job at Marshall. 
did an incredible job at Central Florida. Help, I mean that they had. I mean, when Coach Jones was there, the the, the guys they had and the program, and yeah. and and he's and he's going to do an incredible job at Stetson. And he and he was along with the other assistants and Coach Pelfrey and Coach Grant. I mean, those guys really helped Coach you know Coach uh, Donovan win back to back championships with Florida. But Donnie Jones is about as nice of a human being. He's like you. I mean, as great of a coach as Donnie Jones is at Cent- at Stetson, times that by thirty is a type of human being is even a better person. I love him. I love him so dearly. But Todd Stansbury was his AD. He's my AD, yep. and 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 we both talk about it all the time. I mean, there's just no one better than Todd Stansbury. If if Todd was still at UCF, Donnie would still be at UCF. So and and, and you know what? And Todd still says that to this day. To, the truth. Yeah. 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 No. And that's that's a partnership that you want to have. Uh, I would be remiss before we close. Uh, your dad has had an incredible influence in basketball, you know, at the youth level and stuff like that. And obviously, growing up as a kid, what a what a, a guy to be around with his tournaments and stuff like that. How important was that growing up as a kid? You know what? Um, my dad's my best friend. I mean, yep. we, we talk 20 times a day. Special and part guy. of the reason younger, when I was younger and he started the Houston Hoops, it was really for more of an opportunity for he and I to spend even more time together. And it okay. it obviously uh, I took a life of its own. And he was obviously running a bunch of the big time tournaments. And, you know, little known fact, he used to be the head manager at the time uh, back in the, with, with the 76ers with Wilt Chamberlain. No he way. I Wilt didn't know Wilt Chamberlain that. were really close. Um, and, um, and so, um, at the time, like, like Wilt Chamberlain would take him out and, 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 and my dad would always tell me like Wilt's front seat, he took out of his car cause his legs were so long. He, he moved, he had to remove the front seat from the car and he had to sit in the back seat with, and, and, and when somebody in his car, especially made, they had to take the front seat out because his legs were too long to be able it? to drive. Um, That's you know, they, he, in the timeouts, Wilt didn't, Wilt Chamberlain didn't drink water. He drank seven up huh. and he always had my dad get him seven up. Um, sometimes he had my dad actually taste the seven up before he tasted it. Cause he was concerned someone was trying to get him. In fact, that? my dad and his dad taped the game starting at 30 some odd points in the second quarter in Hershey, Pennsylvania. That was the tape on Wilt Chamberlain's a hundred point wow. game, real to real. My dad had two copies of it. Had a copy of it. He gave it to Wilt to Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt then gave it back to him. At the time, you know, they they talked about you know it, 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 you know at that time it wasn't thinking of it. And, and and when when my grandfather, his father, my dad's dad, had passed away, he has this huge storage. And you know, my dad's just a good, simple man. But he, you know, and he, there's so much stuff in there, and he he needs. He wants to go in there, and so many people have called him to find out is that hundred point game in there, and he wow. believes it is. But 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 two things: one is Will Chamberlain averaged fifty points and twenty five rebounds in a season, and my dad would say, "But you know," and, and as you think about that, averaging fifty and twenty five. But my dad would say, "Will Chamberlain told him the greatest accomplishment he ever achieved, Will, was that when he had ninety eight points." All five guys on the other team tried to deny him the basketball, tried to not have him score, and he said his biggest accomplishment that he actually scored on all five players to get the hundred, the 99th and 100th point. He scored on every single person. And at that time, like my dad would tell you, like he would, he, you know, you, you guys like him and Russell and all those guys, like they could play in today's game. They were so dominant. They were so good. Mm-hmm. Dunking wasn't allowed. When they played the Boston Celtics, all of his classmates used to see him on the floor clean because they used to, back in the day they used to throw eggs on the floor, and he would have to be on the floor cleaning up the eggs. Hey, man, we saw you on TV cleaning up the eggs, and and so um, um, anyway, so he has some great stories. Oh, I bet of of Wilt Chamberlain. So he's been around basketball for a lot of his life. Got into tournaments and. And uh, he and I have a great, great relationship. Well, we give him my best, please. And uh, I, I always admired him so much. And uh, Josh Passner, I could talk to you all day and night, but you wouldn't be able to recruit today. So, you know, I'm so happy you took time from your early season practices and recruiting during this time to spend, you know, time. And, and to hear someone with your amazing love of this game, I think it's just so great. And I appreciate you sharing so much with us. And uh, thank you again, my friend. 
Well, thank you, Coach. I, what I said at the very beginning, I meant it. You're as good as they come. You've made such an impact, a positive impact, a difference in, in not only my life, but so many coaches and 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 everything you do with with the game and 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 how you give back and your knowledge. Uh, you're just you're awesome. And so, uh, uh, from my from from me and from all the other fellow coaches around the country, we we we, we give you a big thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, Coach. You know, as I mentioned at the end, Josh is just one of those people that just, you know, as every one of us in this game, whether you're a high school, college, pro coach, it doesn't matter whether you're coaching in the U.S., Australia, Canada, or anywhere in in, in Europe or anywhere, our love of the game and what we do is just so so out there, our passion. Uh, and this guy, no matter how much success he has, his passion is just like the first day I met him, you know, as a college you know, you know, assistants, you know, slash student, you know, at Arizona. I mean, just an amazing, amazing young person. And, uh, and I think, you know, he's really, you know, one of the wittiest coaches ever in the game, the youngest coach in the ACC, followed Georgia Tech, followed Josh Pastner. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. Mm-hmm.